And the letter to the Hebrews is critically important because it addresses a chief fundamental problem that many of us face today. And that is that we are growing tired and weak in our faith. Whether it's uh, our busy schedules, the workload that we have, or a variety of things that are, that, that are going on in our life, we sometimes uh, let church kind of go to the background. We let our commitment to Jesus Christ kind of fade to the background and become, we become a bit lax. Uh, sometimes the ideas of church become, uh, well, I don't know, we just kind of accessorize Jesus. You know, like he's an app on your phone among 50 apps on your phone. You know, and he's just one that you can tap and have access to if you want. Now, we're digging into chapter 10 this morning. I want to start at verse 1, and I want to summarize 1 to 18 for you. Let me tell you why. The author, who we do not know who wrote Hebrews, okay? Some argue Paul, some Luke, Apollos. Some, uh, some say it was just an unknown pastor. We don't know. But whoever this guy was, he was very much a Jew, a brilliant Jew who mastered the Old Testament in such a way he can just integrate Old Testament Jewish ideas and Christian truth and Christian reality and kind of dovetail them together, all right? And when he begins his arguments at 7-1 to 10-18, he is proving over and over and over again in a very redundant way this whole idea that I've summarized for you. Hebrews 10-1 to 4, the law as inadequate and obsolete. So four statements that are really simple. The law is only a shadow of good things. Remember the painting I put up last Sunday of Mona Lisa? That's a shadow that's a, a lesser form of reality than the painter, Leonardo da Vinci. In like manner, Jewish ritual, Jewish, Jewish law is only a shadow. It's a lesser reality of something far, far greater. All right. The law is inadequate now. The law can never make perfect those who draw near. The law is proven inadequate because of the annual cycling of sin offerings. In other words, it's not one and done. You know, well, I may have messed up again. I perhaps intentionally or unintentionally committed a sin. So now I have to be a part of Yom Kippur, the, the annual year of atonement, the sacrifice of atonement, to somehow make sure that I've covered all the sin issues and I can get back in touch with God. The problem is there might be another sin right after the Day of Atonement. <laughs> and now what? Now you've just lost the momentary intimacy you had. It's now gone because you accidentally sinned again. Or maybe deliberately sinned again, which would be horrible to do it on purpose, right? Nobody here sins on purpose. We only do accidental sins at Christ Church. Thank you, Terry. I, you know, good morning. We're waking up here. So, I mean, you can see, you can see how, how difficult the situation is. If you've got to do the law to get right with God, then we are never really right with God. Or if we are right with him, it's just for a brief period of time. And how difficult that is. That is why the law is inadequate and obsolete. So the law is proven inadequate because of the annual cycling through of sin offerings. And then four, point blank. Verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It just doesn't do it, you know. 
uh, it's not super soap and it doesn't wash away the sins, you know, like some cosmic tide laundry detergent. It will not take away sins. It won't do it. And now the author introduces that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. Jesus is the willing and sacrificial lamb who offered his body once and for all. So, if you're a Christian, you don't have to re-engage in an effort to seek intimacy with God once a year at Yom Kippur. You have it now perpetually because for him it was one and done. That's it. There's no killing of more animals. There's no going into this protective ritual once a year where if you've made accidental sins, they'll get covered too. No, not anymore. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, those who draw near are made perfect for all time. Do you know, Christ Church, you struggle with that one. Boy, I know you do. You struggle that you believe this stuff. Sure, that grace is real. Love is real. Perfect love casts out fear. You ascend to the idea. And then you go right back into law. It's like, it's like your law, the, the law grace thing are, are, are fighting inside your soul. And when things really get down, you default to law. And you think, well, okay, he made me perfect for all time. Nice idea, but I don't feel real perfect right now. And so you default back into law. And that's when your relationship with the Lord breaks down. Through the perfecting sacrifice of Jesus, the law ceases and the ministry of the Holy Spirit begins. The law ceases. The ministry of the Holy Spirit begins. So, ready? Key question. Please don't answer. It's rhetorical. (laughs) What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit like? Do you talk to the Holy Spirit? In fact, did you know the definite article, the, is not always used in the Greek text? Like, regarding my daughter, Rebecca, I don't say, I'm going to go talk to the Rebecca. Or I'm going to go talk to the Justin or the Andrea or the Lisa or the wife. I just say, I'm going to go talk to Lisa. Okay. Do you know you don't have to use the definite article referring, when we refer to Holy Spirit? You can just say Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's a person. He has a name. You know, the one that is issued to us is Holy Spirit. Okay? It's okay to do that. What's your relationship with Holy Spirit? Do you have intimacy? Can you hear the still small voice? All right. Now, chapter 10, verse 19, we're going to dig deep. You ready? This is where the, the author says, you know what? We got the facts straight. Now we're going to know how to, to live it out. We've got good information. Now it's going to be about living that out. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate or provoke one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For Christ Church, what I beg you to appreciate is that verses 19 to 25 are the logical conclusion to 10.1 to 18. Because the law is inadequate, because the sacrificial system has failed, because it is now obsolete, because Jesus is the sacrifice once and for all, because there is no longer the perpetual cycling through of rituals, the killing of another bullock, another lamb, another goat, birds, doves, all the, the whole sacrificial system, and that cycling through the butcher shop of Judaism. The butcher shop of Judaism stops. It stops. The law ceases and the ministry of Holy Spirit begins, and because of that, the author says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence the word confidence is a beautiful term and actually means you have authorization to speak. Authorization to speak. Uh, uh, Jerry was my boss at SBA. When I worked for the SBA, you had to have a badge that demonstrated your credentials to have access into the federal building. All right. Many of you have access credentials and you slide your card that's on one of those retractable uh, devices and that gets you in the building. That's your access credential. This is the term that he's talking about. We have authorization is a really good translation. We have authorization to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's your credential, your access credential. We have authorization for that by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he initiated, did a renewal, did a restart. He inaugurated for us through the veil that is his temple. Do you remember the story? It's recorded in the Gospels that when Jesus finally breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Scholars argue that the veil was probably up to four inches thick and a team of mules tethered to both sides of that thing could not tear it apart. The weaving was so dense, the product was so thick and so strong mules couldn't rip it apart and yet when Jesus breathed his last, it separated from top to bottom instantly. The veil was torn his flesh Since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That is the verb that has a ton of force, and I want you to please get your minds around this. So the word word for uh, drawing near, proser kamai, this is a participle verb. It's something that is, or rather, it's a present subjunctive, forgive me. 
It's, it's a verb that communicates you may or you may not. All right? The author is saying you have choice. You don't have to draw near. You can if you want to. It's a middle voice which simply is arguing that if you do draw near, you're doing, for your, doing it for your own good. Think about that. Drawing near to God is for your own good. All right? Now, I'm going to... I'm going to dare to venture out just a bit here. I think for some of us, we're not totally convinced it's worth it to seek after God. We're not totally convinced about it. The author of Hebrews is fully convinced and believes that it is absolutely in your best interest to seek after God. And this is something that you need to do urgently, but you do have choice. God is a gentleman, all right? You have full authorization. You can draw near, all right? Um, this language, notice this language here, that your, your heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What do you think he has in mind? What do you think he has in mind? Baptism. Baptism, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. This is language that a believer coming out of Judaism believing that Jesus is the final sacrifice, experiencing the new birth, would go through baptism. And oftentimes in, in the early church, there were confessions that were made prior to and even after baptism. All right? By the way, have you been baptized? Is that something you've done publicly, without embarrassment, demonstrating your relationship with Jesus Christ is real? Let us hold fast. There's another verb. Hold fast. Literally, Terry, that's, that's nautical language. Get a grip on the rope, sailor, and hold it tight. That's a good way to translate that. Get a grip and hold on tight and do not let it slip through your hands. This confession of our hope without wavering, not giving in to pressure. He who promised is faithful. Can I encourage you with this idea? God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. God is not a liar. He's not like a well-intentioned parent who says something positive, uh, who, who makes a kind of flippant promise to quiet the kid down, to hush the kid up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, please, Johnny, okay, okay. We'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to Six Flags, okay. You know, quiet, please, go to bed. Well, as far as Johnny's concerned, Dad just signed a, a contract that you won't be going to Six Flags, you know. And then when things happen and things get busy and, and we don't go to Six Flags that summer, Johnny goes, Dad lied to me. Dad lied. God is not like our parents. He makes promises. He keeps them. Let's dig into uh, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. Consider is a word that refers to the ability to pay attention to. Pay attention to someone Pay attention to their lifestyle. Um, a, a quick comment, you know, accountability and discipleship. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little irritating because we have this idea that my life is really private. And my, my private life is, quite frankly, none of your business. And so accountability is a bit of an irritant. And, and, and I've, I've, I personally have rarely seen accountability work well. Because we Americans love to have our privacy and our own 
our own little private world, but in the world of the New Testament, when you consider and you pay attention to somebody else, there's not really a lot of privacy, especially when you live in very close proximity to each other and you get to pay attention on how to stimulate. And, and that word in Greek, uh, it, it's really kind of a negative word. It means to pester, to be an irritant, to provoke. In fact, it even refers to a sharp object. Um, some of you have worked cattle and worked with horses. I've worked with horses. You can have a prod and you provoke that animal to move, to get inside the trailer or get in the stall or get out of your way. A uh, pitchfork or, or a spade like that can help move an animal. Uh, and it's for their own welfare, but you do it to literally motivate them to move. That's the idea. That actually is the idea. We need to poke each other, stimulate each other. And obviously it's a positive, it's a positive idea here. We need to provoke each other to love and good works, love and good deeds, all right? I, I want to encourage you that be careful with religious ritual. You know, the law is inadequate. The law is obsolete. And yet sometimes our faith, which needs to take shape, I know that. We're going to do the ritual of taking the Eucharist. We do it every service, right? But be careful. <laughs> Let me speak plainly. Some of you have an OCD-shaped heart, <laughs> okay? And if you don't have your quiet time tomorrow morning, it's going to jinx the rest of your day. <laughs> Does that sound like good theology? <coughs> Some of you are smiling because you don't talk about it, right? If you don't have your quiet time tomorrow, <gasps> Holy Spirit has fled the building, you know, or, oh, something bad's going to happen. I didn't have my quiet time tomorrow, you know, or this morning. <gasps> Be real careful with that. Okay, um, little Isaiah, when we're you know, loading in the car or we're by a street and it's a dangerous section on the street and I've got him by the hand, how tight do you think I'm holding? Is he getting away from me? Not at all. There's no, I, and I don't care if he's screaming and crying. I'll pick him up by one arm like a rope and get him up on my hip if I have to. He's not getting away. Be careful on these little Christian OCD thingies that if you don't have your quiet time, somehow God can't bless your day. Be real careful with that. Perfect fear casts out love. All right? So we're, we're provoking each other to love and good deeds, not to little signature Christian rituals that we think are our own little discipleship checklist. Just be careful that the thing we're supposed to be, be provoking each other to is love. So Christ Church, how, how good are you at loving people? How good are you at love? How good are you at friendship? How good are you at doing the good work? The faithful things, all right? Not forsaking our own assembling together. Is this the habit of some people? This, this, is, this is important. Let me show you this um, re regarding the habit of some people. This is, this is serious business. I want you to pay attention. Look, in the, look at this term here. This is ethos. Does that sound familiar in English? Uh, I think Starbucks sells a water type, ethos, right? It's a term that we would be familiar with called culture. 
the culture, the ethos. You know, in, in argumentation, if you're going to argue, Dan, you're going to do logos, the facts. You're going to do pathos, feelings, and you're going to do ethos, character. And if you can have those thing, three things in order, you're going to win your argument. We see this in courtrooms all the time. Those, that's how you win in court. Those three platforms. So, and, and he's saying he's saying here, ethos, it has to do with, with habit. It's interesting that that's translated as habit. So, so no forsaking. No forsaking the assembly. Look at that. This is epi-synagogue. Well, is what that is. You can tell he's writing to Jews, can't you? Epi-synagogue. So don't first, an epi, it's a specifier. There is actually a specific location, like a house church. And that house church is being labeled an epi-synagogue. So he's saying, hey, don't forsake the specific place you're supposed to be to, to worship together as family, to love and share in good deeds, as is the ethos of some people, as is the culture of some people. It's interesting. Please hear the sequence. Please, please listen to this. Do you realize that ideas, when you start to get an idea, you normally put that idea into words. When you start to put those words together, you're going to form a plan. And when you start forming a plan, you're going to do an action. And when you do an action, if you keep it up, it forms a habit. And guess what you've just done? You've created culture. You've created ethos. Do you all have ethos at home? When you walk in, do you grab the remote and turn the TV on? Channel 31, Hallmark Channel at our house. <laughs> ethos of periculture at the house. Hallmark. I, I know all Hallmark uh, plot lines, by the way. I can tell you all what they are. The whole movie is revealed in the title. Okay, and there's always some goober that's in the way, and there's always a communication issue, and it goes on and on. So, <laughs> until they finally go, oh, like, maybe you should have said that the first time, and like, okay, let's get married. It's like, you know, you can bypass that whole issue if you just, just talked on the front end, right? Just, just say what you mean, mean what you say. Marriage counseling is done. Say what you mean, mean what you say, be nice about it, and you're good. You're happy ever after. So, ethos. Ethos. Family culture. What's your culture around the dinner table? Do you pray before you eat? Is it good for little kids to learn to be thankful for what they have? Do you quote scripture? Do you feed the soul and the body at the dinner table? You form a culture at home. You know, habits form cultures. So don't forsake. Which, is, by the way, draw near is the opposite of forsake. Get close to, get away from. Get close to, get away from is the idea here. Draw near, don't drift, hold fast, get, get a grip on the rope, stay put. Don't forsake going to Christian synagogue, the house church, as is the culture of some people. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So uh, I want to give you some things about why people quit church. All right? Now, uh, if we really, really tried splitting hair, we might, hairs, we might come up with a hundred reasons. But here's a few. Some people quit church because they're trying to avoid persecution. That is a part of the backstory uh, in the letter to the Hebrews. They just want to avoid persecution. 
Because in ancient Roman culture, it's guilt by association. So if you hang out with criminals, you're probably a criminal. And so going to church could be dangerous. Okay. That may be one reason. Some are going to church. They are going to a church that is boring or lacks the perceived anointing. And so they want to quit. They don't like the ethos, the ethos of that. And they form some habits and they just, you know, I, I just, I think they think the church is boring. The poor little pastor can't tell a good joke or, or his stories are pathetic. He, he, you can tell he went to pastor.com. You know he went there. Uh-huh. Something fun to say on Sunday, you know. And, or, or for, you know, whatever the denominational filtering that takes place, we feel like it lacks the anointing, whatever that may be. Um, some are going to a church that is stylistically displeasing. Hymns versus chorus. Loud versus quiet. Skinny jeans versus suits. Mm. Casual versus formal. Emotional versus intellectual. Academic versus practical. And it's just not getting served up the way you like it. And so uh, an ethos forms, a culture, a habit forms. And you just, I don't like going to that church. Those, those hymns are so dead. Or the court, they do the same courses anyway. After Sunday, after I'm saying, it's the old Baptist church and the old hymns, you know. And, and you know, you, you guys get it. Some people just fade out because they don't like it. Some are going to a church that teaches doctrine contrary to our beliefs and convictions, you know. And if I start saying, uh, once saved, always saved, and you disagree with that, or I, I, I teach something else that I believe is in the scriptures, and you disagree with me, uh, whether good reasons or, or immature reasons, you, you know what, I don't want to go back there. Some are avoiding church as a means of punishing pastors, church members, or other family members who hurt them. You know, when, when you get sideways with someone, you know the first thing to go? Eye contact. First thing. Can't look at my eye. Can't do it. You're too mad. And one of the best ways to punish somebody you're mad at is to reduce eye contact and literally get away from them. Move away. All right. And so we, we have people that don't go to church. They quit coming because they're mad at a staff member. They're mad at a church member. Mad at a family member who just happens to go to the same church. And so they're gone. Nobody, nobody talks about it. Nobody addresses it like you should. Do not let the sun go down your ground. Some are avoiding church because there's personality conflicts. Again, same side of, side, kind of idea, but there's transference and projection going on. It's messy. Uh, so you know, how about this one? Some people are just so busy. Weekend fun and special events are more important than going to church. Weekend events, special events. There's always something that's better, cooler, more exciting, and you can post a picture on Facebook about it than going to church. And your, your fun deficit, you just can't have it. You've got to, you've got to have some fun. And so for some of us at Christ Church, I get you once a month or once a quarter. That's all I'm going to see, once a quarter, because there's always something, always. Jesus is just an add-on. Some are just indifferent and apathetic. By the way, some scholars argue that at the church, uh, this little epi-synagogue where these Christians are going, that some of them have grown apathetic. They're just like, I don't care anymore, just indifferent. 
Some believe they never experienced acceptance, friendship, and love at that church. You know, Christ, Christ Church, we promote ourselves as being a loving church, don't we? We promote ourselves as being a place where you're going to find a friend. You're going to find family in Christ. But what if at the key moments at this church, this service, when you get to turn and talk to somebody you don't know, you race out the door or you race to your best friend? What's going to happen? And your Bruce just said, thank you for coming to Christ Church where we love God and love each other. Right? That's our, that's, we believe that. Well, if we're so busy trying to get out of the door or so busy to talk to your best friend about <coughs> I feel like it's so cool. Oh my gosh. And you completely refuse to give eye contact to someone you don't know. You're missing the whole point. Some people don't go to church because they don't experience acceptance, friendship, and love. Some have addiction problems or pre-addiction problems to sin. And when they come to church, they feel so much shame that they can't hardly stand to be in church because of something called hypocrisy. Feelings of guilt for being hypocritical. Some are dysfunctional agnostics. <laughs> Whatever or whoever is up there in the sky, he's absent and uninvolved in our lives. Whatever, whatever God is, he's just busy and he's gone. So some people are functional agnostics and so whatever. Some are moralistic therapeutic deists. And they believe church is really not essential because after all, God is morally neutral. And God is morally indifferent to our behaviors. He is always there and always ready to help us feel better about ourselves and our church. So church is just not essential because after all, it's just a giant affirmation party and it's really not that important. Some of us are just tired and exhausted. You know, I, when I, was, I bought something at, at Home Depot and as I left, I noticed there's a bell and you can ring the bell if you had good service. What if for everyone I walked by, I read through, we like rang a bell. That's me. Ding, 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 ding. So anybody here just tired and exhausted and you think, do I have to go to church? I'm so tired. This is, this is a big deal here. Some of us believe that we are independently good. We are moral and active in our own private spirituality and ministry. We don't need church. You just don't need it. I remember when a family came several years ago to Christ Church and the guy goes, instead of saying, hi, my name's Bill. Good to see you. What's your name? I'm Brother Chris. Good to meet you. He goes, ah, uh, this is the 16th church we've tried out. I'm not kidding. That's what I said. And you know what I said to myself privately between my <laughs> little ears? Oh, my stars. Trouble just walked in the door on two legs. And guess what? I was right. The entire family exploded in a horrific divorce. And kids were the shrapnel in the explosion. Just a mess. And I mean, I saw the freight train coming into the depot. And when he said it, it was just like, I should say, well, lucky me, I'm number 17. Woohoo! this is going to be great. You know, no, it wasn't great. 
It went into a terrible skit. Because this guy believed he was good and moral. And his own way of doing things was just fine. And he really didn't need church. Some people have a pretty big chip on their shoulder when it comes to church and God. And we can order our own world just fine. Some of us have mental illnesses, depression, anxiety. And how about this little nugget, social anxiety. It's real. And I know some of you are here this morning and you have it and you have gutted it out and you made the decision to be here and you're smiling and I'm grateful and I want you to know how proud I am of you. You have no idea when you have this and it's the real version of it. You're not just shy. You have a clinical level of this stuff. How hard it is to be in a place like this right now. It is hard. Okay. And going to public places can be excruciating. And uh, I'm grateful for you all. Some of us are just not Christians. (laughs) We're just not born again. We don't know what the new birth is about. And according to John 3, 3, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, let's work on this just a bit. You are the gifted body of Christ. You should get it by now, Christ Church, that your little religious OCD rituals, your, your, your views toward the law are not enough to fix what is broken inside of you. It's not going to work. It is Jesus. It is only Jesus. All right? And when you draw near, and that literally means get close Remember the word, we have confidence, it means authorization. You are credentialed, you can come bust in the door and jump right up into Daddy Papa's lap. That's what Isaiah does. Runs toward me, hits me like a linebacker and wants to climb up in my lap. Not only lasts for four seconds, he has an attention span that's just not too long. And he wants to plop down and go do something like that he wants to do. I've given my daughters throughout the years, regardless if I'm in session Regardless of what's going on, if I'm in a meeting, if they need to see me, I have given them authorization to interrupt me anytime they want to. And they have. And that includes by phone call. They have authorization for that. Therefore, they have confidence. And do you know what that did with their relationship with me? It bonded it to me. All right? Okay? Is it true that any church member... Anybody can interrupt my night at home with my family. Is that true? Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that kind of like a 24-7 thing for the pastor? Sure. Sure it's true. Is there something wrong with that? No. That's what it means to be a pastor. Is it invasive sometimes? Yes. Should I counterbalance that by saying, hey, girls, anytime you want to, you can interrupt any meeting, client or not. Barge right in. Absolutely. That's fair, too. And it has given my daughters confidence and a bond with me that has given us a beautiful, enduring relationship. I am very, very close with my daughters. They have confidence and authorization. Because of that, they draw near. You're the gifted body of Christ. If we're going to literally flesh this out, we're going to draw near We're going to hold fast the confession of our hope. We're going to consider how to provoke each other to love and good deeds. What is it going to take for for the people of Christ Church right here, right now, to love God, 
love each other and imitate Jesus Christ. You're the gifted body of Christ. Speak as the Holy Spirit is guiding you. Thank you, Matt. Question, uh, do any of you believe that a marriage and the dynamics of a marriage are similar or dissimilar to church attendance and church relationships? You say similar? How so? Commitment. What's that? Commitment. Commitment, emotion, I think. Oh, devotion. Okay, nobody else? Is church and marriage kind of similar? Dissimilar? I think it's it's very, very, very similar. Not just in church and marriage marriage relationship, but you know, marriage relationship and your relationship with God. Yeah, Ephesians you know, five. You you run into people who, over time, fall out of love with each other, and you know they no longer appreciate the good things that they appreciated about each other when they got married or when they were courting. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can fall into that same kind of mentality in our relationship with God, and therefore the church. Yeah. You yeah. know, we no longer we take for granted. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. We no longer work on that relationship and yes. try to make that relationship grow. And if it's not growing, it's digressing. Yes. Now, don't answer. But how many of you men don't answer? Worked hard at trying to win favor when you were dating your spouse. And you would get the door, maybe write a note, some flowers, gesture, those kinds of things to somehow prove to her that you are everything that he's ever imagined and ever wanted. And if he could only but hold you in his arms, he would be so happy. And so I get the door for you, my little princess. You know. And 20 years after marriage, it's 
<laughs> okay, two months after marriage, they won't even close the door in the bathroom. It's like, that is rude. Shut the door. You know, and stuff happens, you know. When we're used to, I love you, puppy schmooze, and oh, yummy yumpkins, you're so handsome. And it goes on and on, and then it's now it's just like, whatever, you know. We do that sometimes, don't we? Yeah, and so, so if you find some displeasure with your wife after the first couple of months of marriage, the only logical thing to do is divorce them, right? And go find another who's better than the one you had because there's always someone better. Does that make sense, Dave? Wife hopping, church hopping, wife hopping, husband hopping, or just give up on it altogether. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Thank you. You have spoken wisdom. Thank you. That was beautiful. And the fact is, uh, my wife, Lisa, uh, we celebrate 38 years just in a couple days. You know what? She <coughs> brings out in me my deficits. I bring out in her her deficits. And because of that, one plus one is two. God's math is one plus one is one. And we literally complement and we fill the gaps. We need her. And if she does something that is uh, inconsistent, there's an imperfection, I promise you it is because she is a tool in the hand of God from God's discipleship toolbox. And he's going to use that to expose my need for Jesus. That is just like church. Instead of getting sideways with somebody and engaging in the immediate discontinuation of eye contact and other avoidance behaviors, and you literally avoid, you, you just, you're gone with no communication, no, no loving conversation at all. You're missing the whole point of what it takes to grow up. Absol- you're not growing up. You're being a selfish little brat. And that's why you're suffering from short-term relationships. You have not learned what it takes to have enduring, lasting, meaningful relationships. Someone else, how do we live this out? Chris, this is, you know, from my journey to getting to Christchurch, I guess, 10 years ago, I had been in that situation where I had, because of a way a situation was handled at the previous church, not that the church was inherently bad, but the way a certain situation was taken care of, I didn't agree with, and me and my friends, we were going to do our own church at our house, and that lasted half a day. Um, <laughs> it just became a thing where, oh, I could sleep in on Sundays, and I could work on Sundays, and take off another day, or whatever. Um, I remember the one friend with this issue, or really pushed this issue, had started going back to church, and he said that he asked God to humble him about going to church. I thought, well, I guess I need to pray that. 
I did, and of course Caleb had invited me here. And I guess this, this whole goes down to an encouragement of the body. When I first came to Christ Church, and still now to this day, before and previous things, I could do things for the church with more task-oriented things. But Christ Church, and if you guys haven't looked into this or even looked at the series that Chris has done over spiritual gifting, please, I encourage you to look over that and understand it because it becomes where uh, I quickly was humbled when I walked in and I didn't have to rely on, <coughs> on a few people at the front of the church to do everything. I, the whole body had gifts. And I could go to, I got to learn the people and learn my gifting and learn others. And I knew there was safety. And it was more like a family. Mm. And uh, so I highly encourage you, you mm -hmm. all, to understand that, that you don't have to, uh, you are the church. You are the body. You have certain, each of you have certain giftings and certain things that someone here needs to hear or see or that you might need to hear or see. And there's refuge and safety. You don't have to worry about a scheduled meeting to talk about a sin issue. It's here. Here's the meeting. The meeting's mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. that's that was that was my story. That mm -hmm. I was quickly humbled and mm -hmm. and found refuge mm -hmm. in the church. Cody, you're a quiet fellow, and <clears throat> uh, and I and I honor that in you. You have been the part of the answer at Christ Church, not a part of the problem. Thank you. You, you are a rock-like to me, a pillar. Thank you. I want you, I, I want you guys to get this. Do you see this word <clears throat> confidence? Remember, what does it mean in Greek? It means authorization. If you want to take it a little deeper, it means authorization to speak. And based on your speech, now you have right of access. It's really what it means. You've got something to say. Can you, would you appreciate something about me? I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm giving you guys the straight. This term is literally what happens here every Sunday. You have authorization to talk. <laughs> because some of the churches that I have been on, and I've been on staff at mega churches, all right? Been on national TV and all that stuff. Woo-hoo! Nobody was authorized to talk except the appointed staff member. And that's it. Nobody. You are not trusted or allowed to speak on behalf of God and the Holy Spirit. The opposite takes place here. If you are born again, if Holy Spirit is in your heart and you've not walked in the flesh, you've walked in the spirit, you have full authorization, confidence, authority, the right, the privilege, and the obligation to speak and to get somebody paracalo. And, you know, encourage Paracolo. Get him around the shoulder. Say, come here. Come on, come on, come on. We got to talk. Look at this. Hey, look at me. Look at me. What is going on? And talk to them. Encourage them. You have right of access to do that stuff. That is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Okay? It's growing each other up is what that is. Okay. Time's getting away from us. And, and we, uh, you know, I, I could go another 30 minutes with you all. I want to pray and ask Holy Spirit to do a deep work. Abba, Father... There are people here who are still in bondage to addictions and, and junk, um, in, in bondage to the idea that they've got to clean up before they take the bath. They've got to keep the rules and present some, some flawless future version of themselves so that you could really be happy and give them the okay. 
order to teach them, teach all of us about grace, the inadequacy of the law, the all-sufficiency of your son Jesus. And it is through him that we are born again by faith. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from you. Abba, Father, thank you for such a privilege that we can come into the Holy Holies. The, the veil has been torn in two. Father, we're going to sing, and, and but our, the gratefulness of our hearts are going to be set to music and to words. What a gift to worship you. Please, Abba, Father, bless right now. In Jesus' name, amen.